Advent is a time where we are all preparing for the arrival of Jesus. Since the fall of humanity, God has been setting up the plan to redeem all things through His Son, and we're almost to the time of His birth. Before that momentous occasion, God had to prepare the way, and that's what this episode is all about. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney, and Scott, we are in part two of our five-part Advent series. And in the first episode, we talked about the Magi, these individuals that we have seen to come from the Far East and have a twist on what Matthew was trying to actually demonstrate in his book, that they were the ones who were coming from foreign nations, but they found out about the Messiah. And that was Matthew's way of saying, we said in the previous program, that uh, Jesus came for everybody, not just Israel, not just Jews. And the Magi being those foreigners from the Far East, uh, we welcome them in our manger scenes today, but uh, the Jews back then wouldn't have, but that was a sign of the universality of the gospel. Now, uh, we started with the Magi because their trip was the longest. They probably set out long before, <laughs> but now we're going to get a little closer to the actual time of Jesus' birth, and we're going to look at some of the characters that run up to that, and today it's going to be Zechariah and Elizabeth. So we had this 30,000 feet coming from far away lands, and now we're zooming right into mm -hmm. one family. And so we pick up where Zechariah is serving before the Lord as prophet and priest, and he does his priestly duties there, and his wife Elizabeth is there with him, and that's where Luke picks up the intro. Luke wrote for someone named Theophilus, literally means lover of God. Yeah. Probably was a real person, might have been a stand-in. But one of the things Luke makes clear is that he did a lot of research. He wasn't a disciple. We think he was a doctor who joined the gospel cause later in the book of Acts. So he wasn't a firsthand witness to anything, but he did a lot of uh, research. And I think he did a lot of interviews. So Luke, in his first two chapters, gives us all these background stories nobody else tells us about, right. including the parents of John the Baptist. So uh, this is one of the first stories we get right in Luke chapter 1. So picking up at verse 5, it reads, In the time of Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so then the uh, Zechariah comes out of the temple. He's unable to speak. But very soon after this, sure enough, his wife Elizabeth becomes pregnant with a child. So this is something we've seen elsewhere in the Bible. An older couple started with Abraham and Sarah, right? Older couple who had never before been able to have a child. There's some infertility issues, never could have a child. And then a child is promised. And every time that happens in the Bible, it's a very special child. And it's really crazy to think about how the Lord is always intervening in impossible situations mm. to bring glory to his name. And these are uh, matriarchs in Israel's history, Sarai, Rebecca, mm. Rachel, Hannah. They've all been through these different things where God has done something miraculous, even if he doesn't always change it for the people that are having struggles. And maybe you're having struggles with these things. It's not your fault. It's not it's in this issue that's really challenging that even though it may or may not happen at that moment, it doesn't mean that God isn't able to exactly. speak to situations like that. And of course, Zechariah is a priest. He enters uh, only one person at a time, can enter the holiest part of the temple. That's why they choose somebody by lot, because you don't want to contaminate the holiness. So one at a time, please. One, right. one once a year, please. You would think that, you know, you're in the temple. Wouldn't be that surprising to see an angel. But I think, you know, if I go to church on Sunday, I'm in church. But if I see an angel, I'm going to be pretty surprised. Oh, yeah. uh, and so he's in the temple. He's in a holy spot. You might think, well, that's a, as likely a spot as any to see an angel. But when he does see one, he's terrified as everybody who ever sees an angel is. Uh, that's why angels, their first words are always, don't be afraid. Fear not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He sees the angel while he's actually serving the Lord yes. and doing what he knows to do, what he is called to do, what he's been trained to do is really a powerful point there because I was thinking about this, me and our family, when we're at home, we have this shoe box and in the shoe box, we put prayers, but on the cover of the box, we put FJTD for Jesus to do. And so we put the things that we feel are bigger than us and harder than us and more impossible than mm -hmm. us in the box. And then we go about doing what we can do and what God has called us to do. And it's really interesting how God intervened with something that was impossible in a situation where she's childless. But then he did it while Zechariah was doing what he was called to do. And that could be a lesson for us. One part of the story that's always confused me a little bit. So if we jump ahead just a little bit in Luke, we're going to get this same angel Gabriel visiting Mary. And Gabriel says, you're going to have a child. And Mary says, how can this be? Right. I'm a virgin. And to Mary, Gabriel says, oh, well, this is how it's going to go, Mary. It's going to be fine. Zechariah asks a perfectly logical question, too. How can this be? We're old. And Gabriel is mad <laughs> and says, well, you're not going to talk for nine months, dude. It's like, wow, Mary got a lot, lot nicer response than Zechariah. Not quite sure what explains that. But either way, he was going to be quiet for nine whole months. But during that nine months, he's going to see that God is going to do the impossible. And we're going to pick up on that story and continue to see what happens next for Zechariah and Elizabeth. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives.
I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. You were here that we just got done talking about how Zechariah didn't believe what the angel was saying. And sometimes we give him a bad rap for that doubt situation. But I think the point is that when we see impossible, God says, I'm possible because there's nothing too hard for God. And we're going to jump right back in to these passages. Luke 1, verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there's nobody among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. So Zechariah was mute at the time, so he really couldn't explain all the things that he had saw or what he was thinking about until he got a tablet to write the name. But it's a family tradition since it's a patriarchal society and yep. the firstborn son, why not name him after his father? It's Zechariah, like a no-brainer. Yep. Zechariah Jr., that's how you did it. Nobody uh, chose a different name. I like in this passage, by the way, this is just an aside, but Zechariah, God had closed his mouth. Uh, he just couldn't speak. But I like it in verse 62, how they start making signs. They start making signs like he's deaf. It's like, he's not deaf. <laughs> if you want to ask him what to name your child, just ask him. Uh, but we always kind of treat people that way. But be that as it may, as soon as Zechariah fulfills what God asked him to do to signal this child's uniqueness by giving him a unique name immediately, his mouth is opened. And Daryl, it's wonderful that nine months, okay, it's a long time not to be able to speak. It's hard to imagine. Nine months. And what's the first thing out of his mouth? Praise. He starts praising God. doesn't curse God for keeping him silent for nine months. He doesn't ask, why, God, did I have to be silent? Nope. Praise. What a great thing. I think it's a good note for us to follow, too. Sometimes there are things that are happening that are beyond our control. Sometimes there are things that are happening that are difficult. But worship is always an appropriate response to God and and praise to his name. Because, I mean, literally, John's name means grace. Hmm. It means that it is uh, graced by God. And so names are always going to be important in Scripture. And when God names something or someone, it is going to be very powerful. And so I know I have this hobby where I like to walk up to people or whether I'm checking out at the store, I'll say, well, do you know what your name means? That if they don't know and I know, then I will tell them what their name means. What's your name? Your name is Jessica. Okay, it means wealthy one. So live in the wealth of the love of God. Live in the wealth of his grace and mercy on your life and have a blessed day. Just kind of leave people with that because I feel like it adds value to you if you know who your name, what your name means. It's a beautiful thing. Right. Uh, and names in scripture, right, they're never just handles. I mean, that's kind of how we treat them. It's just my handle. You know, you can, I'm Scott. You're Daryl. But names were always symbolic and important. And as you said, you know, to be graced by God as uh, John was, was very, very vital. We talked, too, about how uh, Zechariah, upon exiting his nine months of enforced silence, began to sing. And if, if we were to read a little bit further in this chapter, Zechariah sings a 
whole song. Prophetic song. Yeah, it's it's like Psalm 151 or something. You know, a beautiful, beautiful prophetic song. And I've often thought to myself, Daryl, well, what do you do when you can't talk for nine months? Well, you could stew about it. You could be mad about it, you know, uh, whatever. You could make a list of things that you want to say to your wife as soon as you can talk again. What Zechariah did was compose a psalm. He used that long period of enforced silence for something productive. And the things he sings, I think uh, we could dare to say, Daryl, were revealed to him by God's Spirit. Yeah. Because in the temple that day, he was confused. He didn't know what was going on. He expressed doubt. But now in that beautiful song, he says of his son, John, you are going to be preparing the way. The morning star is going to rise and shine on us from heaven. And you, my son, are going to be the privileged one to prepare the way. So he composed a psalm during his nine months of silence, and the psalm was prophetic, yeah. uh, it pointing forward to what John would do and, and what Jesus would do. That's literally the essence of what the paving the way idea is in this episode. And I also thought that it was really powerful how when everyone was around the people, they're around Elizabeth, they're like, what's his name going to be? Of course, it's going to be Zechariah Jr. And she says, no, his name's going to be John. And their response, there's no one among your relatives that has that name. Mm -hmm. And I think that one sticks out to me because like God is actually doing something that is unprecedented. He's doing something that's going to create a new way and a new opportunity for his name to be glorified. And so there are people that I know that are the first ones to graduate in college or the first ones to, you know, overcome struggles and addictions in their families. And they have went away that no one else has gone. And it's because of God's grace and mercy. If that's you, then, you know, you're blessed because God did it. And, you know, John, that's his name, but he's closely associated in the angel. We saw this in the previous segment of the program, Daryl. The angel in the temple said that he's going to be kind of like Elijah, right? And Jesus will say that later. Eli you know, there was, a, there was a belief in Israel that Elijah somehow would return yeah. right before the Messiah came. Right? Oh, yeah. And John is that Elijah. In fact, after the transfiguration, Jesus would say people waited for Elijah, and that was John. John was Elijah. And who was Elijah? Well, he was the prophet who called Israel back yeah. during the time of King Ahab, during a time of great apostasy and grave sin. God sent Elijah to call people back to God, to get them away from the cult of the Baal right. and idolatry. And that's what John the Baptist is. He's going to be in the tradition of Elijah to call Israel back to its better self as a preparation for the ultimate Messiah, whose uh, way John was going to be preparing. The prophet's role is always going to be, hey, let us get back to what God mm. commanded us to do. Hey, let us repent and turn back to God and remember his promises and remember his faithfulness in our lives. And so John literally does that his whole ministry. And there were a couple of times where he had to tell them, I'm not the Messiah. Yeah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. But I point to the one who I can't untie his shoes. There he is. There's the Lamb of God. That's Jesus. And it's really important for us to remember his role. 
in the scriptures. Yeah, and he, he made clear. He said, I'm not the uh, bridegroom. I'm the first. I'm the best man. You know, I'm the yeah. best man at this wedding. I'm not. So the people all went home, right, after this amazing thing where they'd given the name of John. And Luke says people talked about it all over the hillsides. I mean, they, it was up and down the streets and alleys. People were, who is this child going to be? And when John finally grew up, he was amazing. He was the most powerful preacher of his generation. John was so much flashier than Jesus that all the way into the book of Acts, you know, years after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the apostles were still running into churches that were titled the Church of the Messiah, John the Baptist, right? There were still people who only knew of John's baptism, who right. thought John was the Messiah. That's how powerful John would be. But he himself made clear, look, I must decrease so he may increase. That was his whole role. Well, as we wrap up this episode, let's think of some of the practical implications of this story and some of the wider resonances in the Bible. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose, and we're coming to the end of this uh, program, the second in a five-part Advent and Christmas series, looking at some of the main characters that surrounded the Nativity, the Advent, the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. And in this episode, we've looked uh, principally at the parents of John the Baptist, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we just were noting, Daryl, that John the Baptist was going to be a prophet in the tradition of Elijah, someone to call the people back to God call the people back to their best selves. And that was all in preparation for the Messiah. And we know that from when we read the Gospels that we see John the Baptist is definitely a force to be reckoned with. He mm. is the voice crying out in the wilderness. He is the one turning them back to God. But he's also Jesus's cousin because it mentions mm. that, that Elizabeth and Mary are related. And so it's really interesting to see that even John leaps in the womb when he fast forward and you hear mm. he hears about the fact that Mary is also pregnant because he's the Messiah is coming in real time at that point. So it's really powerful to see that. And it is wonderful to see that the arrival, the advent of the Messiah was not haphazard. It didn't just, God was preparing the way, Daryl. He was preparing the way. And John the Baptist is so powerful, all four gospels include him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as the great preacher Fred Craddock once said, it's pretty clear you can't get to Jesus without going through John. You have to go through John, his baptism of repentance to prepare people for Jesus' ultimate baptism unto new life. What we've seen from these stories is that God loves the world so much that he's been setting up this redemptive plan to help us. And if we think about Paul's writings, and specifically in Romans, he talks a lot about the fact that God does something about our sinful situation that actually separates us from God. And in Romans 5, we read, you see just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, 
though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see that Paul is making us remember the fact that it needed to be a divine intervention to fix the relationship with God. And John paved the way with the baptism of repentance. And we still are called to repent to this day to get back to what God has called us to be and, and offered and to his family as well. And I liked how Paul in Romans 5, 6 said, you see at just the right time. Yes. Right? This is all, we often talk sometimes about the two different kinds of time. Kronos time, well, yep. that's the time. TikTok. Yeah, TikTok on the clock. And Kairos time, which is a different kind of time. That's a, a different time, a time of appropriateness. Moment. Uh, the moment, the right moment. God had been planning ever since Genesis right. to send this Savior. And so, indeed, we could go all the way back to Genesis in the chapter of the fall where God uh, is talking to the serpent who had tempted Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Those verses there have a very, very long theological term, proto-evangelium, which means the preview, sort of the first gospel, the pre-gospel. Uh, this is where the Messiah is promised. The dust from the first sin has not even settled yet, and God says, I got a plan. Oh, yeah. I got a plan. If you think of history as a giant chessboard, God had been moving his pieces around, and now the second to the last piece to move is John the Baptist. It's 200 moves ahead of us as well mm. with his divine wisdom. And that word enmity, that's right there. That's where the actual prophecy about Christ is happening right there. And mm. the whole crush your head thing It's really important to see that even though humanity has dropped the ball, so to speak, mm. here comes the grace of God to redeem it literally in the same book that it happened in. And that promise is really powerful. But what's also really powerful is that, and we mentioned this when we talked in the other episode about Matthew, how there's kind of a bookend and how you talk about the advent that we're preparing for mm. in this season, but there's also a second advent coming in the future that we're looking forward to. In fact, there's a reason why in the tradition of the church, if you really follow traditional assigned biblical readings for the season of Advent, the first one in Advent is usually Jesus in the Olivet Discourses at the end of his ministry, just before he gets arrested, where Jesus is talking about the end times, what we call the end times, the second coming, the parousia, uh, when the presence of Christ returns to the earth. And Advent begins there because, as you've said, we're between two Advents. We spend most of our time focused on Bethlehem. Right. But but we're supposed to in the church think about the second advent, which hasn't happened yet. And in fact, if the second advent never happens, the first advent isn't worth celebrating either, right? Exactly. The only good reason to celebrate nativity of Jesus in Bethlehem is if he's coming back. And we see that at the end of the Bible uh, in, in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be 
with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And we long for that day, don't we, Scott? We do. No more racism. No more cancer. No more political partisanship and red and blue who can't get along. No more Alzheimer's. All the things that bring tears to our eyes will be eliminated in God's good order. And what we get here, you talk about bookending, right? The Bible begins in Genesis with God living with Adam and Eve. And they mess up and they have to part ways. So God has been trying to get closer all along to restore that relationship. We had the tabernacle where God lived in the Holy of Holies, the temple, and God kept getting closer until the living temple of Jesus Christ came to this earth. And now, as John foresaw in Revelation 21, the dwelling of God is with us. John the Baptist prepared the way for that. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we study the angel Gabriel's announcement of Jesus' birth and Mary's reaction. Connect with us now at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.